You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Michigan Wild Podcast, and I am your host, Marcus Ewing. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Lake State Land Company. Whether you're looking to buy or sell your next piece of hunting or agricultural or lakefront property, the team of trusted agents and land specialists over at Lake State Land Company can help make that process simple, painless, and easy. So head over to Lake State Land Co. today to find out more. All right. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Jason Manderbach, and Jason is the owner of Lake State Contracting and Supply, uh, which may sound familiar based on the commercial I just read to you. Um, Jason is actually the owner of Lake State Land Company uh, and Lake State Contracting and Supply. However, today, uh, today's episode, today's conversation with Jason, we get to talk about the the land management side of things and in recent years um it seems that a lot more folks who have access to their own private land are putting a big emphasis and really uh putting a big push on on wanting to manage their own land uh and things of that nature so uh land management uh, developing habitat trying to turn you know whatever type of property that you're hunting really into uh the best form of itself, I guess. Um, but like all things, some of us just don't have time. We don't have the the resources in terms of the the tools, I guess you could say the tractors, uh, whatever the case is to, to really help put this, this plan or this idea that you have, um, to make it come to fruition. So what Jason and his team do is they're walking property all day, every day, almost. And <clears throat> excuse me, they are, you know, working with clients, trying to figure out what it is that the customers want to achieve with their their piece of property, and that Jason and his crew are doing all that they can to make sure that they can bring that to life. Um, so Jason and I get to talk a lot, really about, you know, just habitat, which uh, it felt like it was very topical given that we're really getting ready to start, you know, deer season here in Michigan. We're about three weeks out, and it's talking a lot about you know, 
the three things that you know most of us know, but that Jason really tries to unlock within a property. Uh, we get to talk about some of the success stories that he's had managing the property, uh, the properties that he is uh, right now. I believe he said they're they're managing and maintaining about four thousand acres here in Central Michigan, um, with uh, you know with a fairly small team. Uh, they're doing some incredible work there. Um, so really just a, a great all around conversation with Jason. I've known Jason for a few years now. Um, so it's, uh, it's nice to sit down and, and just, you know, chop it up about, you know, deer hunting management, these types of things. And, uh, you know, we also get to talk about what, what Jason has in store for the season, um, when he actually gets some time to, to work on his own property. So episode number three with Jason Manderbach. Enjoy guys. All right, I'd like to welcome into the show from Lake State Land Contracting, Jason Manderbach. Jason, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> it's um, it's always nice when we can do these things kind of face to face. We were talking about it here because we've been kind of hanging out for the last hour or so. But there's, it's hard to replace the face to face kind of conversation, interview, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Because man, for <clears throat> since I've started, I mean my other podcast I've been doing all but one over the over the computer through Skype and Zoom and all that stuff so it's nice to do this face to face um so <clears throat> Jason what I want to get into today and what I want to talk about is Lake State Land Contracting you I mean what would be the best way to to describe what the company is so Lake State Contracting uh, basically is kind of a an offshoot of some of the other uh, real estate type ventures that we have. Actually, it's our. It was our first uh, first uh, kind of involvement in, I guess you could say, the the real estate property management space. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of took a back seat a little bit to to real estate, uh, Lake State Land Company, for a while. But it's really kind of come on strong. It's actually probably. You know, I'd almost consider it one of our primary uh, ventures. But Lake State Contracting and Supply basically is a, a property management land supply company. Um, the business is kind of twofold. Uh, we have a component of uh, this business where we actually uh, go out to client properties, maintain them. We do the work. Um, you know, where their boot, boots on the ground. It's a lot of non-resident landowners who right. who might live a hundred miles, a thousand miles away from their property. Similar to us. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So basically, they'll contract with us to do food plots, do their brush hogging, do the uh, hinge cutting, lane clearing, pond installation, that type of thing. Um, and currently, we've got about four thousand acres on management retainers in Central Michigan. Okay. Um, where we do a lot of those things. The other component to the business is we also have like a retail side of the business. So we have 20 plus uh, product lines, things that we've handpicked, um, ranging from trail cameras, hunting blinds, um, seed, fertilizer, you know, all those types of things. Everything that goes into managing yeah, property yeah, for deer exactly. hunting, presumably. Exactly. So, you know, with this company, we can be as hands-on or as hands-off as the landowner would want us to be. It's just a matter of if they want to do the work themselves or if they want to have us do the work for them. So so how was it that you kind of found yourself in this uh, or starting? I know 
we had talked or we've known each other for a few years now, but when I first met you, you were kind of doing real estate on the side, mm -hmm. um, from, uh, what your other line of work was. And then you just decided, you know, to give it, you know, uh, what's what I'm looking for. You went full on into the real estate side and then obviously saw the, the potential of, you know, land management and everything like that. Yeah. But how did, how did the land management come about? Was it just that you, you saw an opportunity or that you were being asked a lot of these questions when, you know, listing properties or, you know, walking properties sure. with buyers? How sure. did that look? So, yeah, it's, it's been quite an evolution, uh, I guess, for me professionally. Um, I started a, back in the early 2000s, I think it was 2004, I had started a hunting lease uh, brokerage, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Um, the idea behind that was we would work with landowners who had property that they were willing to lease. We'd market those properties, and then we would sort of work as their management agent um, to kind of facilitate the lease throughout the, the entire term. Uh, at one point, we had, I think, 2,500 acres of hunting leases, okay. uh, kind of the peak of that business. Um, and it was a fun business. It was great to be in. You got to walk a lot of properties. But what we found, a lot of these landowners, although they had these properties and they might have been willing to lease them for a couple of years, you know, a lot of them were looking for an exit strategy okay. because they weren't using the properties. They didn't, you know, it's something that they had maybe had handed down to them. Sure, which is why they not, were leasing it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's not a, a huge uh, personal attachment to the property. So a lot of them you know, their end goal was actually to sell the property, you know, when the market was right. So, like I said, we had 2,500 acres of property, you know, hunting leases at one point, and those started to get dwindled down Yeah. as landowners were looking to sell. So you were doing all this work to help facilitate the lease, and then there would come kind of the point where the landowner was like, okay, you know, I don't want to do the lease thing anymore. I just want to sell it. And then you yeah. were out of the picture. Yes, okay. exactly. So, so at that point, we were referring these landowners, you know, the landowner would come to us as, you know, sort of sure. their, their confidant. Or yeah. Their, yeah. Their trusted partner. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So they, they would come to us and say, Hey, I, you know, actually I'm interested in selling this property. Who would you recommend to sell it? And, you know, for a period of a few years there, you know, just to kind of help them out, I, I had some good connections in the real estate industry with different companies. And I'd say, Hey, you know, you should talk to this guy or talk to that brokerage or that agent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it seems silly, but it kind of came as epiphany to me that yeah. you see you all know. this money walking away, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're making money off of this and then you're referring, you know, right. Bigger chunks of money essentially to, to someone else who hasn't done any of the work. Like yeah. now over the course of a couple of years, you've, you have kind of this testimonial, right. To when it comes to, to listing the property, like, you know, it's been hunted hard and well-maintained for the past, you know, three years. And this is all the work that's been done to, you know, enhance the ability to, you know, be successful when you're out there hunting. And now it's like, okay, now you go sell it. Yeah. Like I did all the work yeah. for you. All you got to do is list it. Yeah, exactly. So, so it kind of, you know, became obvious to me. It's like, oh, you know, why am I not licensed in real estate? Yeah. Because, you know, rather than, than referring all of these landowners and these listings away, you know, why don't I just get licensed? Yeah. So I think it was 2012. I ended up, uh, getting my real estate license, um, worked with a great brokerage, um, you know, out of Northern Michigan, 
kind of devoted to your recreational property and stuff. Yeah. And and at that point, you know, real estate was profitable enough. I was selling enough properties that I kind of decided to to sort of let the leasing side of it go. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, I guess you could say, kind of shut that business down. Um, but the funny thing, it, it, what I guess it kind of comes around full circle. You start selling properties to people. Now they need somebody to manage those properties. Yeah. And, you know, I've always had a, an interest in, you know, habitat management or habitat development, property development, um, basically taking something that's raw and sort of untamed and converting it into something that's usable, functional, yeah, attractive yeah. type of thing. So, um, so I think it was in 2016, we kind of, uh, I, I guess, sort of resurrected the property management side, yeah, but went more into a land development focus as opposed to a hunting lease uh, right. type of focus. So. Yeah, and that's it, yeah, it. Is kind of funny how you talk about that coming full circle because yeah, you in hindsight and in retrospect, right? It's like oh, it was there the whole time, right? right. Like just the, just the business model that you have now. It's like if I would have just had the kind of the foresight to see this, you know, ten years ago how, how different things could be, but you are right in the fact that, and I don't know if it's this case, if the, if it's this case in a lot of other States, but in Michigan, especially with, you know, a large amount of the population living in, you know, Southeast and Southwest Michigan and the sheer amount of, of hunters that we have in Michigan, that a lot of people are commuting, so to speak from Southern Michigan to central Michigan, northern Michigan, the UP, places like that. And they need, they don't have the time, right? They probably have the funds to, to buy, you know, a good sure. track of land, but they don't have the, you know, weeks and weeks that it takes to really develop it, right? To yeah. make it what they hope for. I mean, if you're going to invest in, you know, 100 acres or 200 acres or whatever the case is, you you don't just want that land. Like you want to be able to utilize it kind of like what you just talked about, make it come to life. And <clears throat> there seems to be um, a big premium on that in terms of being able to have that land and develop that land because without it, it's it's just that, right? It's a tract of land and sure. it's not going like, to – you could be like – the prime example is the, the piece of property that, that you sold to my in-laws that, you know, it's two and a half hours away from us. You know, once hunting season comes, we're able to spend a lot of time there. But, you know, during the spring and the summer with, you know, kids and jobs and things like that, the the amount of time you get to spend up there is maybe a Saturday. Sure. And how much work sure. can you get done on, on a Saturday? I mean, you can get some done, but then you know you're going to leave stuff left. And then yeah. you got to try to figure out, okay, when's the next time I can come back up here? Well, it's three weeks from now. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, well, I've you know, you have your whole bucket list of things to do and you just never get through that, right? You never get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm satisfied going into hunting season that the property is where I want. The food plots look good. You know, you got your trails cut, you know, the hinge cutting, hinge cutting, um, that you did maybe, you know, late winter, early spring, anything like that. How, how have you been able to, or how many differences are you noticing? Like 
from property to property? Is it a lot of the, the same principles or do you really have to go into each project, each property with like a clean slate and like no bias from maybe one that you had just worked on a week sure. ago? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, the landowner's goals for the property, you know, obviously kind of drive our activity right. on the property. So, you know, there's a number of, you could, you could be talking to one guy, you know, whose primary focus is he wants, you know, quality deer. You yeah. know, he wants wants something that, uh, you know, he can go out and, you know, chase those higher age class bucks. Um, so we, you know, in that case, we would try to kind of cater to, to what his goal is and try to set it up in a way that, you know, is advantageous to, to his goal. You know, but there might be another landowner who is just kind of a weekend guy. He's very family oriented. It's all about getting his family outdoors. He wants to have good trails, make the property super accessible for yeah. everybody. You know, that's a whole nother a whole nother set of goals. Now we have also worked, you know, with people who have certain disabilities. Yeah. Um, you know, to where obviously access for them and being able to provide something that that they can utilize the property is important. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I mean, landowner, what the land, the landowner ultimately drives, you know, kind of what our involvement is and how we, how we set up the property. And to kind of get back to your, I guess what you were just saying, you know, about the time resources that are required right. to develop a property. I mean, not only is it that, but it's also, you know, the equipment investment. Yeah, that's another big one. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys, you know, in order to do some of the things that need to be done on these properties, I mean, really, you need to have the right the right equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're continually making investments in, in our, you know, equipment uh, fleet, I guess you could call it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not difficult to to get a few hundred thousand wrapped up in oh the, yeah in, in, in capital equipment yeah, yeah for sure yeah so and and you know and for a lot of guys you know it's just that's probably an investment that they don't really want to make or they don't uh like if they're like you said if they're only coming up to their property a few times a year yeah um, doesn't make sense to buy a fifty thousand dollar tractor so. well yeah because you know likely in in that case or, you know, expanding on that, you just dropped 200, 300 grand on a, on a good track of property. Sure. And now what are you going to spend another hundred in equipment to, right. to get it to where you want? I mean, people, there's not a lot of people that just have that, that type of money to sure. be able to, to spend on things. And there also comes, you know, the expertise behind what it is that you guys do, right? Like sure. you have that experience to be able to say, this is what we need to do this is what it's going to take. And yeah, a lot of times people don't want to, to undertake, you know, the, the cost, the financial burden that goes into, you know, the second half of developing any property. Now, have you come across any experiences where, you know, you're contacted by a landowner, you go out, you know, they, you have that kind of initial conversation. You say, okay, this is, you know, we want to, you know, use this, this piece of land and excuse me, we want to, you know, we want to target, you know, mature, mature bucks, right? Like that's, that's what we're after here. You get boots on the ground, you're walking the property. And when you get done, you're kind of thinking to yourself, this isn't just, this just isn't going to hold, you know, <laughs> big deer, right? Like yeah. just even, 
you know, not even so much just the piece of property that they're on, but the surrounding area, it just isn't conducive to, to sure. what you sure. typically would look for. What yeah. is, what does that situation look like? So I think, you know, and this goes with property management and, and real estate, you know, twofold. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a certain amount of, you know, metering expectations yeah. that takes place. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, you know, it's not just, <laughs> you could have the nicest property in the, in a very terrible area. Yeah. Um, you know, you could be surrounded by a bunch of other small parcels, you know, there's no, uh, cooperation with the neighbors as far as what, you know, what's being shot, you know, it, so to some extent you can only do so much, uh, yeah. with a property because there's other factors that are outside of your control, you know, th- that limit, I guess, the quality of the deer that, right. you, that yeah, you're going to Yeah, you can only work with what you have, right? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, there's a, a certain amount of expectations that we try to sort of, manage. sort of limit and manage, yes. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, we try to do, you know, even if it is a, a small parcel that's surrounded by a bunch of other parcels or surrounded by state land, you know, that type of thing, we're going to try to do whatever we can do to, to make that property as conducive to holding and attracting deer as we can. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, and I know a lot of other, you know, talking heads in the habitat world have talked about this i mean deer need food cover water yeah that's that's those those are are the things yeah so if you can provide food cover water and you can kind of um i guess limit or reduce the impact of human deer interaction throughout the course of the year you know to where they're not flushing the deer out you know be it through planting screens uh you know hinge cutting doing you know, setting aside certain areas as sanctuaries, whatever the case may be. Um, if you can make that property as attractive as possible, you're already that much further ahead than, yeah. than all of the neighbors. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's the, the food cover water. I mean, yeah, those are kind of, I mean, any, anyone who's been serious about deer hunting to any degree, right. They know that those are, are three very important things. What would you say is probably like the average size, like piece of land that you guys are working with? Are you, you know, more than a couple hundred acres? Are you, you know, 10, 15, you know, acre plots? Yeah, I I would say that, you know, we've got a couple that are, you know, 600 acres plus. Yeah. Um, But then we have a handful that are, you know, 120, 80s, stuff like that. So. I would say it's kind of across the board. We've we've got three big one, three pretty decent sized properties that we we do a lot of work on, and then the rest is kind of eighties, one twenty, one sixty, that type of yeah. Type of size. And the whole habitat improvement and land management, like that's kind of the long game, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think sometimes it's hard for people to really wrap their head around, especially after they just, you know, they buy their their dream piece of property, right? They want to if you buy it, you know, presumably in the winter or in the, you know, early springtime when, when a lot of people are really starting to kind of gear up or, or start thinking about the, 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 the upcoming hunting season is that the work that's going to be done, even if you're able to kind of hit the ground running, right? Like you, you, maybe you can do some hinge cutting, you know, in the winter or early spring, you know, you start to 
clear some land, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you just, you start to do a lot of those, those things that you see the, the real effects are going to come two, three, four years down yeah. the road. Right. And yeah, that's, absolutely. that's gotta be a hard part to explain to, to customers, <laughs> right? Like, you know, especially I think, um, people that, that aren't super familiar that are kind of fringe hunters or, or, you know, watching the, the habitat and landscape management game uh, as far as hunting property like a lot of people tend to think like well we got food plots right like we should have deer we've got these great lush green food plots why are there no deer in it right but sure. it's it comes to those other other components that you talked about right the cover the yeah. water yeah i mean it's 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 a whole you know the whole bottle of wax you can't you know you can't just put in food plots and expect you know the deer to show up some cases they do more yeah. than likely they don't. I mean, you've got to have all three of those components. And it kind of, again, goes back to setting <laughs> setting expectations. Realistic expectations. Because I like what you said. You know, the, the habitat side of things is it's a long game yeah. uh, goal. So when somebody buys a piece of, piece of property, you know, a lot of times the areas that they're wanting to put food plots in or the areas that we would even want to put food plots in, I mean, those areas have never been worked. Yeah. They've, they're not, it's not a farm field. Yeah. It hasn't had, <laughs> you know, 50 years of fertilizer put on it. There, there's some rough stuff and could be full of rocks, could be full of sand. I mean, it have zero organic matter and be highly acidic soil, but it might be a good spot yeah. <laughs> to hang a stand so they want a food plot there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, everybody that's what we always kind of joke about is you know everybody sees the magazine covers you know of deer standing and uh it skews a lot of perceptions in a luscious it? food plot or you know and the fact is you know you can get there on most properties but yeah. it's gonna take it's gonna take a few years of you know managing your weeds and you know building that soil up you know in a way that it can actually you know support uh you know, a planting that would provide, a t you know, ton good tonnage of food plot. Yeah. Good tonnage of food for the deer. So. I mean, I think back to a piece of property that uh, my in-laws owned that we would hunt. It was a 40-acre piece of land. And, you know, as I got more serious into hunting is when uh, my brother-in-law and I became more serious about the creating the food and stuff like that. Because what we found early on with hunting this this piece of land was that, a lot of deer were kind of using it to, they were crossing through it. Like there wasn't really anything, there wasn't anything keeping the deer on the land, right? Maybe they would bed down in there because there was some good cover, but, you know, there wasn't really any good food source in there. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of coming and going, which isn't always a bad thing. Like if that's what you have to hunt, you figure out how to hunt it. But there was a couple summers, maybe two or three summers where we would do a lot of, or what felt like a lot of work to try to, create food plots and things like that. So we're, you know, looking at the property, we're like, okay, this looks like an area where we're hunting. Um, you know, we, if we put a food plot here, you know, we can kind of intercept the deer coming and going, or, you know, you're kind of working off like natural pinch points or funnels where you can sure. kind of put some food source and keep deer around. And, you know, I mean, we went as far as we would like clear the area right? Whether it was, you know, brush hog. I mean, I remember times like renting a walk behind brush hog, which <laughs> is, 
it was a nightmare snapping belts and doing all this, you know, snapping a belt like a half hour into using it. Oh, and then you're yeah. like, <laughs> and we're, you know, not necessarily right next door to uh, a hardware store where you can go and let alone is that hardware store going to have the belt that you need. Sure. So you run into all those obstacles and then we get it cleared, you know, we're spraying all the weeds, you know, we're taking soil samples, we're sending the soil samples out to say, okay, this is what the, the ground needs to be effective, or this is what we recommend that you plant given the soil type and all that. So you're, you know, that's one day. And then another day is, you know, spraying it again, and then you're tilling it and you're doing all these things. And I mean, it's, it's just such a time consuming thing. And then, you know, from a success rate, I would look at, you know, if you look at a food plot as a whole and if food plot comes in and the whole food plot better than average, right? Let's call that a hundred percent. Like we were batting like 25%, right? (laughs) Like if, if we were lucky, you know, we'd clear this land, we'd spray, we'd come back at, you know, a week or two later and there was, you know, ferns everywhere. Right. Right. It's just popping up, right? Like it's, it's a very taxing, time consuming, and oftentimes frustrating endeavor to try to to do that on your own. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, and I'm not even, I, I'm not even going to say that we don't have a flop. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we're, we're getting better at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like <laughs> we're anything, trying to get better over time. Absolutely. <laughs> trying to, trying to, uh, reduce the, uh, occurrence of that happening. But I mean, even sometimes the best intention, the best planning when it comes to food plots, you know, and habitat uh, management in general uh, it could be a total yeah. flop and kind of a waste of time. So what I would, you know, probably tell people is, you know, don't get too discouraged. You know, if you plant something, it doesn't come up or. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we deal with that on our, on, on property that you help us manage, right? Like yeah. we just, yeah. you know, you plant something and then it just doesn't quite take and you're like, okay. You figure out what the soil needs. You got to build that soil up, right? If nothing, even though, like you said, it looks great, it's in a good location, you know, it's, it's getting the right amount of sunlight and all that stuff. Like sometimes that soil just needs to be built up and that could take two to three years of planting and then tilling and, and all that stuff in order to really see that, that success, that end result that you're looking for. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of environmental factors that, that are beyond you know, your control as a land manager, especially as a food platter. Um, You know, and another one is kind of underlooked, I think, by a lot of people is browse. Yeah. You know, you get into some of these areas, especially where we're at, where, you know, some of the the areas where we plant food plots, they're not in agricultural areas, right? Right. So you put a food plot in, the deer are drawn to that almost instantly. Yeah. And we'll wipe it out before it even hardly gets a chance to get mature, a chance yeah. to mature um you know so we we've utilized browse cages on a lot of our different food plots to just kind of tell okay how you know how are the deer to kind of how, how much are they using yeah, this right um you know and obviously if they're eating it down a ton that's a good indication that you need more food yeah so yeah i mean that's rain obviously moisture in the ground deer browse uh you know there's just a lot of Soil quality. There's a lot of things that that you deal with as a food plot uh, practitioner or food plot person. That yeah. That uh, just you just can't get discouraged if something doesn't work one year. You come back the following year and try something different. Yeah. It's a it's an evolving process. Yeah. So. You adjust and make a new game plan. 
So for, and it, it seems like, or maybe it's just because I've started to pay more attention to it in, you know, the last five to 10 years is that it seems like more people want to, despite what we've kind of talked about, more people do want to try to do a lot of these projects on their own, right? They want to, sure. uh, you know, take an ownership over their property, right? They want to be able to say that, you know, they had this raw piece of land and they've turned it into kind of this, this deer haven, this deer Mecca, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. Mm -hmm. For people who are just embarking on that, right? Maybe they've been saving, you know, money for a long time, or they just inherited a piece of land that hasn't really been utilized for hunting. What is a good piece of advice that you would give someone out there listening that, that doesn't really necessarily know where to get started? Sure. Well, I think for us, and we talk about this a lot, you know, myself and my staff is I think access is probably the first, you know, piece of the puzzle. Access in what regard? Access in terms of how you as a person get through okay. the property. So, you know, I have shown in my time in real estate, I've shown some really great properties that have nothing for a trail system. And, you know, in order to get, before you can even begin deciding where you want to plant a food plot, you got to be able to get your equipment out to those areas, right? Yeah. Um, so I think access is for me, having a good trail system on a property, a good perimeter trail that probably goes around uh, the entire thing, you know, various access points where you could get off that perimeter trail and, and clear some areas, that type of thing. I don't think you can really even begin to lay out a property until you can work, until you can get around yeah, it. Right. So I think that's probably the, f the first piece of the puzzle. And then once you have that access, then you can start deciding you know, where you want to put your food plots, where you want to put your stands in relationship to how you get in and out of the property. Yeah. And I, I personally like a perimeter trail that kind of goes around the whole thing because then you can utilize, you know, various wind, you know, get into the property different, different ways, ways depending yeah. on what the wind might be doing. Or, yeah. Or whatever. And that, I mean, that's key too, because, you know, I think about referencing that, that property that we hunted before we had, we had a decent trail system, but we only had one real kind of point of entry, sure. right? So you were, I don't want to say you were limited to it, but those, those were your circumstances, right? You, you knew you were going to have to walk past certain things, regardless of the wind, if you wanted to, to get to your stand or, you know, some guys will walk the mile and a half out of their way, you know, in the dark to, to access a stand. But I think a vast majority of people are, are going to kind of take the path of, of least resistance, right? Sure. Like, because how often are we running behind to get to the deer stand in the morning, right? Oh, yeah. Scrambling to get ready, scrambling to get get set up. So you're like, I just got to get out there, right? I got to get out there. You know, you want to be ass in the seat half hour before daylight, presumably, <laughs> right? Like right. that's kind of the, right. the golden rule. And some people are obviously <clears throat> overachievers and get there much earlier than that. Sure. But the access is – now, do you come across when, when talking to, to clients or, you know, just – in passing with, with other land managers or hunters, like that they feel that creating that trail system, like that's going to somehow interfere with, with the habitat, with the, with the deer population that's there. Yeah. I mean, obviously if you've got an area on your property that, that is, you know, maybe you got a lot of blowdowns, it's a swamp or you've got, you know, some established, uh, you know, switchgrass or something like that, obviously, yeah. you know, in some cases you don't want to just blaze a trail right through what might be uh, a great sanctuary. So, I mean, yeah. you do got to kind of take, 
you know, take into account some of that when you're planning out your trail system. But, um, but yeah, I, I still think that, that, you know, having a, a good perimeter trail and having a good trail system is, is key starting point or jumping off point to, to developing a property. And the, the cool thing now, you know, in the last 15 years, you know, these, the, forestry mulching heads that go on the front of a high flow skid loader yeah i mean they can do a lot of work and not a whole lot of time yeah uh, in terms of creating a trail system and stuff like that so i mean they are expensive i mean you pay usually around a couple hundred bucks an hour yeah to run them but they can get a lot of work done in a day uh when it comes to to putting in a trail system and they're <laughs> if you haven't seen one run they're pretty scary to watch but they're they're a great great tool for uh land management so. yeah no and i've definitely seen like videos and things that that you guys will post on a lot of the work that you're doing and yeah i mean those things mean business when they get out there and you know that's that's the thing too with like creating a trail system and deer use those right deer sure. will use those tra- oh, yeah. those those man-made trails just as much as they'll use game trails to try to you know stay in cover and, and yeah. stay hidden yeah, especially absolutely. in the summer months right when they're not nearly as high alert as they are you know come come deer season or sure you know once yeah i mean you, they're they're a lazy animal i mean yeah they're just, they're, they're <laughs> least like, resistance again yeah exactly. i mean you'll notice it even if you're you know, let's say maybe you're doing some spring scouting, right? And you're you're walking a game trail looking for sheds or, you know, whatever the case, you're, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. And you'll come to, you know, a tree that's like half across the trail, right? Maybe a blow down that just hasn't all the way come down. And you'll see those deer revert right around it, sure. right? Just they'll sure. go three or four steps out of their way, which anyone who's, who's hunted has probably encountered that in the tree stand, right? Like you're you're sitting on this nice trail or a pinch point or something and you think based on the sign that deer are going to come right down this chute, right? Well, now a deer is step two or three steps one way or the other. And now you, sure. you don't have that lane. They're not quite in range. You know, they're whatever's easiest for them. They're going to do. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So have there, has there been like a theme, I guess, from, from your, your customers as far as what it is that, they want to do um like with their property or is it more yeah we want to shoot a, a higher age class a more mature buck or is it more of hey i've got uh you know i've got maybe they're you know more towards like the retirement age right For and sure. they've got you know grown-up kids and now they've got grandkids and they said hey we just want a place you know hunting is a big family tradition it's something i grew up doing you know my kids grew up doing now we have grandkids we want to have a place where we can all do that or is that maybe more the exception than the rule for, for sure. people that you're, sure. you're working with. So, yeah, I, you know, I think obviously everybody wants to shoot bigger bucks. I mean, that's, that's, that <laughs> that's goes the goal, saying, right? right? Yeah. That's, that's a given. Uh, but I would say we don't really have anybody on our client list that is, um, yeah, that that's their only goal. Yeah. You know, so I would say most of our guys – want to improve the habitat they want to see bigger deer everybody does but at the end of the day they just want functional properties that are good for the family to use yeah and uh and so on so yeah i'd say it's everyone wants that but at the end of the day it's it's a family sport and everyone yeah wants to enjoy now it. have you had any of those clients 
because I've talked about this on my other pod, podcast a lot that, you know, you get these kind of species specific conservation organizations, right? Like RMEF, for example, mm-hmm. that it does all of this, this habitat work or, you know, they open up a bunch of land for, you know, the elk herd in, in the region or the area and people who who haven't kind of dug a little bit deeper or really kind of understand how conservation works. Like they think that the work that they're doing is just going to, uh, just the elk are going to benefit, right? Or in this case, just, you know, whitetail are going to benefit. Mm-hmm. Do any of your customers ever, or your clients ever talk about, Hey, you know, I, I want to improve, you know, the overall habitat for, for deer, but I'd also, you know, there's game birds on the property like, sure. and, they, and they kind of bring up that aspect and in, in trying to create, you know, a better habitat for them as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, we, obviously our focus is, is more on the deer hunting side of things sure, than, rightfully than anything, so. just cause it's the most, you know, popular game species in the state of Michigan. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we've, we've planted a lot of butterfly, butterfly fields. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, you know, planted a lot of fruit trees for pollinators, that type of thing, you know, hung a lot of nesting boxes for wood ducks, um, so yeah, I, there's definitely, you know, an overall interest to improve the ecosystem, you know, on a lot of these properties. And that's a goal of a lot of these, uh, these landowners, um, obviously they're m- more focused on deer primarily, but yeah, yeah I mean, it's, we, we've, we're kind of dabbled into some other stuff that I, you know, I enjoy as well. So, yeah. But. So you said, how many years ago was it that you started the the uh, land management side of things? So the the original company, the lease management company, we started started in 2004, and then we kind of re- resurrected the land management side in 2016. Okay, so about six so, years now. Yep. Is there one property that kind of jumps out that you're like that was just this huge success, right? Like you've obviously still working with you know the landowner that you know they've just seen a, a complete 180 from sure. where you where you guys started to where you're at now whether that's just in the overall wildlife or you know now it's holding you know 150 inch class or better deer you know on a yearly basis sure sure so yeah i there's one property i guess that kind of comes to my mind and um it's a property it's about a 580 acre property that we have uh, just south of Marion, okay. Michigan. So central Michigan, a little bit west. Um, and that property, when we started doing work on it, it was pretty raw. I mean, there wasn't really any, you know, maybe some old food plots that that had been planted. Uh, was it a lot know, of like hardwood or like a lot of varying landscape uh, on it? Varied landscape. It's that general area is a lot of jack pine. Mm-hmm. Um and then kind of scrub oak trees and stuff like that. I mean, there's some some larger oaks on the property, but nothing nothing really to speak of. But they didn't have you know any sort of food plot program in place uh, when we started coming into the property. Access was kind of limited to certain areas. Um, and what we did out there, we put in a few water holes. We you know expanded their food plot program. I think I think they have now about 20 acres of food plots um could probably actually use a little more yeah <laughs> but that's kind of where we're at right now so we went from probably three or four acres of food plots up to 20 
cleared a bunch of land. We improved some travel corridors. Um, and now, you know, where they before were getting a lot of, you know, year and a half old uh, spikes, four points, six points, um, you know, now showing up on their cameras, we're seeing bucks in the 130s, 140s pretty, yeah. pretty regularly. And I for Michigan, that. I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong, I mean, Michigan – puts a lot of big deer on the ground every year more so probably in the southern half of the state sure but for michigan and you know if you're listening and you're poo-pooing at you know 130 140 inch buck i mean come on guys but oh, yeah uh, well yeah especially central northern michigan yeah you know there's not a lot of agriculture right uh, exactly once you get north of you know us 10 yeah uh, which basically which is straight across kind of, yeah, that's state. kind of where we're at. I mean, that's where we're at now, right? Like anything yeah. north of, yeah. kind of north of here, yeah, it, it thins out considerably. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in terms of the age class on that property, what we're seeing now to what we were seeing probably 2017, 16, 17, when yeah. we took that property over, uh, it's night and day, you know, the camera activity and what, what they're seeing. And I think a lot of that just, they had the cover before, but they didn't have the food or water, and yeah. we kind of, we kind of brought in those other two variables, and that made the difference. So yeah, and I mean that's that's a big piece of land. Um, I mean, and like you said, you could probably put more food on it because, without doing quick math, I don't know what the percentage of that is. Um, twenty, you know, twenty acres. Twenty to of five eighty or yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a pretty small percentage, but that. Uh, no, that's that's cool to hear because I'm sure that the people that are hunting that knew that there was a lot of potential there, right? But just didn't have the the tools to really unlock it. Sure, and the, yeah, the interesting thing, I mean, they're a client, uh, they're an out of state client, so they <laughs> yeah, they don't they, have the time to get they, here they and, don't. and do they, all that, they, especially uh, not on a piece of land that size. They want to show up, they want to see deer, and they want to have a good time and very turnkey stuff. So yeah, that's with that property in particular we're we're very hands-on with you know everything that we do so yeah well where we at here okay so as i mean we're recording this early late august early september yeah well last day of uh of august here i mean we're a month out from archery season open up sure do you have are you i mean based on where you hunt are you do you got anything that you're really got you excited i mean are you just kind of taking it as it comes or do you got any out-of-state hunts planned or anything like that for this year uh so to be honest with you this is <laughs> we uh, i was talking to you kind of before we we started recording and uh you know the business the the property management contracting side of the business is really really expanded yeah. in the last couple of years and the downside to that <laughs> Is that no, not doing that, any work that, on your property? That I don't have a ton of time to <laughs> to kind of focus on my own stuff. But we've we've got uh, got a family members got a few hundred acres of property right here in Clare, uh, Central Michigan, uh, that I hunt. Yeah, uh, with that group, and yeah, we we statist- you know statistically had some pretty decent bucks on the yeah the property in the past and. Uh, I, although I don't have a target deer on that property right now, I'm sure there's something out there that yeah. that's, that's worth shooting. So Yeah, that's the nice thing about having a, a place that you regularly hunt or you have some familiarity with, right? You don't necessarily have to do a lot of the uh, the intel work, right? Sure. Like you know where deer traditionally have been. Yep. You know, yep. you know what to hunt, what to look for. 
Um, Jason, before I let you get out of here, where can people find more about your company, inquire about, you know, your services and everything like that? Sure. So we've got, uh, obviously, a website for both businesses, Lake State Contracting and Supply. Again, our property management uh, land supply company. They can visit us online. It's www.lakestatecontracting.com. Uh, and then we have the real estate uh, side of the business, which is Lake State Land Company. And it's lakestatelandco.com. Yes. Proud sponsor of the Michigan Wild Podcast, I might add. So, all right, Jason. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to sit down and, and talk about the, the land management side and, you know, what it is that you guys are doing and, and how you're trying to help, um, you know, hunters in Michigan be more successful and, you know, offer some, some advice and some tips for people that are kind of looking to, you know, go with their own and, and give the old college try, I guess. <laughs> All right, we'll take care, Jason, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Mark. See ya. All right, well, thank you to Jason, and thank you to all of you listeners for tuning in. Uh, Be sure to rate, subscribe, follow all that good stuff uh, on the Michigan Wild Podcast. And until next week, get outside and stay wild, everyone.